So if you guys can see this question on the screen, you should be able to see it. Um, Queen Libra, she says this. Don't go away. Don't leave. What are you doing, question? She says, is tarot or oracle readings demonic even though they praise the Most High and, and say they get the gifts from the Most High? There's no way around it. The answer is absolutely yes. God explicitly condemns um, not just um, sorcery, but the specific word. I, I can't think of it. It's in, um, necromancy? No, that's not the word. That's not the right word. Uh, there's a specific word. God is against all forms of counterfeit supernatural experiences. Did I say that right? God is against all counterfeit forms of legitimate supernatural experiences. Uh, when it comes to tarot cards, oracle readings, um, that information, as far as scripture gives us reason to believe, that information is not coming from God. Now, unfortunately, and I say unfortunately for a reason, in scripture, um, and again, God explicitly condemns this, I think, not just in, in Leviticus, but specifically we have King Saul. Um, he is trying to conjure up dead Samuel, the prophet. And that is explicitly condemned in Torah. That's an understood thing. And he's even afraid that he'll be found out for it. And this woman who is a witch and does the kind of psychic readings and, and you might say tarot card kind of deals... She does that, and she knows this is condemned by the God of Israel. And that's exactly why she's actually removed from the land and lives on the outskirts in the wilderness where those things take place. Um, so the short answer is um, they are demonic. Uh, you have fortune tellers in the book of Acts, and Paul commands the spirit of um, fortune telling to leave, spirit of witchcraft that's the word yeah witchcraft you're like that's the word you were looking for what do you have a kindergarten vocabulary yeah sometimes i do oh, it's not in the bible not the way i think there's a hebrew word that actually i can't think of okay either way the answer is yes it is explicitly condemned it is demonic it is not something you want to engage in um and i tell people this i, I could take you to passage after passage we can go to Saul, we can go to Leviticus, we can look at what Paul does in Acts, we can sorcery, witchcraft, magic, any kind of, um, I don't know, supernatural experiences outside of God, not good, not good. Um, and I'll tell you this, just because something is legitimately happening doesn't mean it's good. In fact, God actually warns in Exodus and Leviticus that... Uh, Actually, the sign of a false prophet is not, we often think of a false prophet is false if they make a wrong prediction. Actually, what makes a false prophet wrong is the fact that, not that they didn't get it right, but that they're leading you away from God. So false prophets have legitimate, you know, insight into uh, the future and things that are going to happen. And they can do legitimate signs and wonders like Pharaoh's, uh, what his his servants who throw the staffs on the ground and they turn into snakes, um, and then they also copy Moses's signs and wonders up to a point. Their magic only goes so far. Divination. Thank you. I think that, that is the word. Maybe I'm looking for. Yeah, maybe that is the word. Divination. Ah, yes, Sister Sandy and Wonders of Winnie. Just think of Winnie the Pooh. Genesis thirty. We have uh, divination being used by Laban. That's a no-no. Uh, we have in Genesis 44, Joseph has a diviner's cup. That's not... Um, just because that's happening doesn't mean God approves of it. I'll say that. Okay. Um, nor does it mean necessarily that Joseph employs that diviner's cup. It just might be a part of the status and the role he plays in Pharaoh's hierarchy. Uh, in Numbers, we have Moab seeking out Balaam for divination. No, no. But the interesting thing about this, guys, is that Balaam seems to be an isolated occurrence. 
This is not the norm. This is a one-time occurrence. Balaam is a prophet. He's referred to as a diviner. And he actually engages God, engages with God, um, through these means we call divination. And he has his diviner's enchantments, and he has his little things in place, his rituals. And for some reason, the God of Israel, when you, when you zoom out of him working in Israel, he's working with Balaam. And I don't think that is to approve the means by which Balaam is trying to communicate with the divine, just to say, look, um, at times there are some things we can't make sense of, and that doesn't mean that God actually approves of said thing. So to answer your question, I know some people are so hungry for the supernatural. They'll settle for anything, even if it violates the scriptures. Some people are so desperate for a word from God that they'll go to witchcraft. They'll go to sorcery and divination. And I'm just going to a psychic to preach the gospel. And if she has something to say, I might consider it. Be very, very, very vigilant and careful and do not pursue ungodly means of interacting with the supernatural or what you refer to as God. God speaks to us on his time. God speak to us speaks to us in the way he has ordained and the ways he's ordained. So I don't get to I don't know place my own preferences onto God and say you are going to talk to me like this. So I know I'm hammering that home but there are people, there are believers People who would say they follow Jesus, who are dabbling in these things, saying, well, God really interacts with me in this way. How do you know it's God? Well, I get real messages, and it really happens, and things really do come to pass, and I'm telling you the supernatural. Just because something is legitimately happening does not mean it's good. Does not mean it's good. <coughs> um. This is a question that has nothing to do with hearing God's voice, but this fellow says, do you allow me to subtitle your videos in Hungarian and upload them to my channel? I have absolutely no problem with that. Please go ahead. I, this is not mine. This is just the Lord's channel anyway. It's his wisdom. So please, if that would reach more people, do so. Do so. Someone says, do you think Christ came to America after his resurrection? Per the history of the Mormon faith, they would say so. As far as I can tell scripturally, biblically, and chronologically the way God works throughout history, I would have no reason to believe that. Can I absolutely, definitively say Jesus didn't do such a thing? No. But scripture gives us no reason to believe that. The narrative, then the flow of the narrative, doesn't give us any reason to believe that. Um, what Jesus does post-resurrection and the way it's communicated gives us no reason to believe that. And um, I don't know, it, when you begin filling in the gaps of what if, did Jesus dance around the moon post-resurrection? The Bible doesn't say he didn't, right? Did Paul fly to, to Venus, you know, during one of his visionary trips to heaven and and God brought him up and they kind of danced around and said, go back down, buddy. And Paul's like, I'm having a good time, though. And God kicks him back down to the earth. Well, the Bible doesn't say that didn't happen. When you start to build theology off of what the Bible doesn't say, you get into some weird territory. Be very careful. You don't start reading in, reading between the lines and filling in the gaps the way you're not, not supposed to. Okay? Okay. Okay, let's see. What else we got? Someone says, does that mean fortune cookies are badness too? Some would go that far. Some would go that far. And they'd say, well, actually, that's rooted in paganism. And it's a form of the occult. And it has to do with... And I would say, well, I wouldn't say eating a fortune cookie is inherently evil. And I wouldn't say reading it as a joke is not inherently evil, but some people would say, why dabble? Why even get close into that? And I say, more power to you. I think it becomes an issue of conviction at that point because it's not explicitly a form of divination or the occult or witchcraft. It's just someone was pumping out on the, on the factory line, right? There's pumping out different statements, just typing them up. I don't see anything wrong necessarily, unless it's like cursed and someone proclaimed a, 
I don't know. You can get into some weird territory with that as well. Telling you. Kevin has a good question. Do you believe God still speaks in a still small voice to people? I know he can, but do you believe he still does? Sorry, you guys can't see it. I have no reason to believe that God does not. Now, that individual isolated occurrence where God speaks in a still small voice to Elijah, that's what he's referring to. If you go to, um, shoot, I can't think of where that is. Ah, it's in 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19, you know, God's going, or Elijah's going, where are you at, God? You told me to come here. And God, uh, the short answer is he can. Um, but is that normative? I don't know if I can absolutely say either way. I don't want to build a theology around something that isn't clear or isn't absolutely established as a matter of fact. Just be careful how you do that. Uh, Elijah comes to a cave, lodges in it. The word of the Lord comes to him and he says, the word of the Lord, by the way, says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? As if the word of the Lord is an individual rather than something to be heard. Uh, the word of the Lord is a person to be experienced. And he says to Elijah, what are you doing here, buddy? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord. People of Israel forsaken you, da 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 And he said, go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord. And before, behold, the Lord passed by a great strong wind toward the mountains, ripped the rocks in pieces. You would poop your pants. The Lord was not in the wind, though. After the wind, an earthquake, and the Lord was not in the earthquake. After that, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. These great uh, supernatural wonders, right? Mother Nature. These great, uh, I don't know, not disasters, but acts of God. God's not actually in that. And after the earthquake of fire, the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a low whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood. And there came a voice. There came a voice. The text doesn't explicitly say that the sound of a low whisper has any message or conveys any ideas. Nor does it explicitly say that it's God. It might just be what directs Elijah to God. Um... I've actually never read it like that until just this moment. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face. It doesn't say that when he heard the voice of God, just that when he heard the sound of a low whisper. So something can sound like a low whisper. And if you're ever home alone, I'm sure you had this happen. Where you hear what you, you swear someone's in the house. You swear someone's in the kitchen. There's a full-blown conversation happening between two elderly folks at your dinner table. And then you go down there, no one's there. It's weird. So he hears something I would liken it to what happens in Acts, possibly. Uh, the sound of a rushing wind. Sometimes sound is compared to something. It sounded like. Not it was the sound of that, but hear the sound of a low whisper. It doesn't say it's from God necessarily. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. You wonder why he does that. That, that, that might carry some, you might need some cultural understanding to really get what he's doing there. And went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave and behold, there came a voice. There came a voice and the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? So is this same voice, the sound, the, the whisper that he heard in verse, thir verse 12, is it the same person speaking? Because if the sound, if the low whisper in verse 12 is the same as the voice in verse, voice, verse 13, then it's God both times. He said, what are you doing here, Elijah? That's what God said earlier. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord. Right? So uh, it's interesting Elijah's told to, um, whatchamacallit, he says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. It, it's very, very vague on purpose, I think. Uh, what's supposed to happen? What am I supposed to hear? What am I supposed to encounter? Well, some big things happen, but apparently the sound of a low whisper has something to do with Elijah standing before the Lord or being directed to hear the voice of God or, or it is the voice of God. You have a bunch of options. Um... So can God speak in a still, small voice or a, a low whisper still? I have no reason to say he can't. I just don't want to make it normative. I just don't want to make that something I should expect on a daily basis. And if I'm not hearing a, a low whisper from God, I'm a failure. He's left me. Some people do that. I'm really sad to see people who they'll come into our Discord server and they go, I feel so far from God, I feel abandoned, or in the YouTube comments, I feel condemned, God left me, I don't feel his presence. And then you, you get to the heart of it and you go, why do you think that? And they go, well, 
I haven't heard God the way I used to. Well, how'd you used to hear God? In a, like a little whisper, a little shh. And I'd, I'd experience him. I, he'd talk to me and I'd go, well, okay, so you decided that's supposed to be normative. And based on whether or not God is doing that, you've determined whether or not you're in good graces with him? I don't think that's correct. I don't think that's healthy. I don't think that's biblical. I don't think that's the way we're supposed to, um, I don't know, engage God on a daily basis. Can God do that every now and then? Sure. Can he do that every day if he wants for a person? Sure. But nowhere in scripture is that normative. So I'll always say God can. Will he? That's up to him, man. There's a handful of things God says he will do. And there's a handful of things God never says he will do, but we expect him to do it as if he said he would. Um, umti half-breed. Half don't know how to say your name. I'm going to call you umti. Do, does God speak by thought? We have established that, well, I don't think we've gotten to the point in our series where he, we have absolutely established whether or not God does that. We haven't gotten to the developing discernment part. Uh, but I would definitely encourage you to tune in this Monday for uh, part five of our series all about learning how to hear God's voice. It's on YouTube if you haven't seen it. Uh, we're just talking about episode four, which uh, released yesterday. And um, does God speak? I thought he can. I, I don't know why people want to say God won't do this. He does. He can speak by imagination and he does, meaning God will, um, by his spirit, plant in you different uh, desires, imaginations, thoughts, ideas, vision. Um, God can do that. that. Now, here's what I want to say. Not every thought you have is God. Not every idea you have is from God. Not every vision you have in your mind is from God. Not every uh, scenario that you see happening and playing out in your mind is from God. Your imagination is not always governed and led by God. So do you get a tingly feeling by your ear or top of your head when the Holy Spirit speaks? Not always. If I, if I live my life being guided by tingly feelings, I'm going to be very disappointed. I'm going to be very discouraged. I'm going to be very frustrated. I'll be very confused. I don't gauge whether God is talking to me or not based on a feeling I have in my body physically because there have been a lot of times God is speaking very clearly and there's no physical sensation. Can physical sensations accompany God speaking? For sure. But is a physical sensation in and of itself a condition for knowing whether God is speaking or something that should happen when God is speaking? The answer is no. I like Yimmy's question, if I said your name right. Yimmy, Yimmy makes more sense, but how do I know I'm under the presence of God? Now, actually, I'm not going to answer that because I'd like for you to clarify, Yimmy, if you're still here. Yimmy Chirinos, I'm absolutely butchering your name and I apologize how do you know you're under the presence of God? Can you explain what you mean when you say under the presence of God? Can you explain what you mean? That way I can just, I want to answer that appropriately. Okay, I don't want to answer that the way I think it needs to be answered, but how I should answer it. All right, we got some more questions. Should I believe any of the Book of Mormon was Joseph Smith, a false prophet? To the first question, no, you should not. If something is mostly false, I don't know why I would go to that for a source of anything true. Can someone that is 99% wrong say something true 1% of the time? Sure. But I shouldn't use them as my ultimate source of truth. So I would definitely, definitely discourage you from using the Book of Mormon as a source of truth. Historically uh, unreliable. You can look at the origin of, of Mormonism, who Joseph Smith supposedly was, and not to at all bash. It's just, you can, I'm standing on the truth and saying it's absolutely false. It's made up. It absolutely doesn't align with biblical history and the narrative of scripture. It's a forced counterfeit. It's unfortunate because Paul actually warned in Galatians, if even an angel should bring a different gospel, and that's exactly what happened with Joseph Smith. I'm not saying his experience wasn't legitimate, but again, we need to test the spirits, test these experiences. If someone claims to be from God and they hand me a gospel that is contrary to the clear scriptures, why would I entertain that? So I wouldn't, I wouldn't entertain that. Wonders of Winnie. I, this is not my, unfortunately, this is not my um, expert area of expertise. 
So I, I just wanted to read your question out loud for those of you guys who are in the chat to meditate on and maybe share your thoughts. Because frankly, I don't, no scriptures come to mind when I think of how to answer this. I think man, humanity has developed systems and formulas and equations and, you know, ways to answer this that are based on tradition and experience, but I do not have an answer. They say, how would I know if I've opened unwanted gates in any way due to Reiki, crystals, yoga, kundalini? I, in other words, what, what you're saying is how do I know I have not opened the door for demonic entities or evil spirits to plague me, my house, my family, my life? How do I know I have not opened the door for that? How do I know I have opened the door for that? Um, that would, I guess the answer, part of my answer would very simply involve pray and ask the Lord for counsel and guidance and clarity and for him to bring people into your life that can point that stuff out that you might not see. Let's, let's look at this question. The pursuit of, I don't know your username pursuit of it just has dots so i'll just call you the pursuit does that mean he speaks through his action in our life 100 percent. oh yeah one of the greatest ways god does speak is through what he does because it reveals who he is then it reveals what we should think about him if we're only looking to hear directly are we not missing so much he does in guiding us yeah and that was kind of the the heart of yesterday's message if you didn't catch it yesterday's message episode four of hearing god it was essentially about that. We are often looking, we're obsessed with like the, the envelope and the letter and the message on the piece of paper and we, we, we minimize the person handing us the letter. And God, I think it, what's more impressive is the one who's speaking to us and giving us a handwritten letter more than the message itself or the letter itself. Not to ever put the two at odds, but I, it's God who is speaking to you. Like you understand that, right? That's crazy. That's wonderful. That's awesome. That's humbling. And um, God speaks a lot in our life through what he does or what he doesn't do. And uh, there's messages conveyed. There's ideas that are clarified. There's understanding that you glean. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Does God speak to us through animals such as birds? Queen Libra, without getting uh, like pagan, dare I say, Without getting in, like starting to enter into the occult and, and witchcraft and thinking pagan, I do want to say God can speak in a number of different ways. For instance, there are a number of ways, number of ways to explain what you mean. Someone might say, like how Balaam the the prophet was was talked to by a donkey. God opened the voice or the mouth of the donkey, and the donkey was able to communicate in the language of Balaam, with the sounds Balaam understood. And Balaam was having a full-on conversation with his donkey. Okay, in no way is that normative or should I expect that to happen. Apparently, God will do that at times to make a very, very clear point. Um, there's another way to explain what you're saying. Can, can me, if I'm like observing birds flying around or animals, can that remind me of certain scripture that the Spirit of God is bringing to mind? Can that remind me of certain stories in the Bible or certain attributes of God that the Spirit of God is bringing to mind through what I'm observing? Absolutely. Life can be just a series of connection points at times, right? Where it's like, I only thought of that because of the breakfast I had and have, having thought about the Wiggles, you watch the Wiggles, if you have kids, you know, Having thought about the Wiggles made me think of Peppa Pig, and then thinking of Peppa Pig that made me think about the story of the, in the New Testament where Jesus sends a demon into the pigs. And then I thought about how life is just a series of connection points. Everything seems to play off each other, right? And so at times I do believe God will use almost where we're at in our day and where our thoughts are at to, to, to lead us to certain scriptures and ideas, and he'll not interrupt but meet us in those moments where our thought patterns are in the right place to be receptive to what he wants to tell us. I have no problem with saying God can speak through creation. When I look at the sky, the sky is not talking to me, but there is some sense in which the sky declares the glory of God to to creation. And I am to look at that and go, wow, the sky points me to the creator. The sky speaks of the greatness and the majesty and the power of God. I have no problem with saying that. I just want to be careful 
not to rely on animals or creation to be the the main way God communicates to me. That that should not be the only method of communication that I limit God to in my life. Does that make sense? Hope it does. Yimmy brings up, <clears throat> trying not to cough, a good question, a good point. He says, I hear a lot of preachers say, I feel the presence of God. I absolutely understand the sentiment behind what they're saying. I do. And we've all had some kind of physical awareness, some kind of physical sensation um, that informed me that God is present, right? We've, we've had those moments where there's like a weightiness. I don't know if it's atmospheric. I don't know if it's personal. I don't know if it's whatever. However you qualify that. You get the tinglys. But I cannot qualify the presence of God based on those things alone. That would be silly of me. So I can, the, the God can choose to make it clear to you that he's near through you having some kind of physical sensation or awareness. That's not always what happens though. Sometimes it's enough for me to know just what the scriptures tell me, that God is near to those who draw near to him. And I don't need a sensation. I don't need a feeling. I don't need no tinglys. I don't need my leg to go numb. I don't need to be knocked down on my back by Benny Hinn. Sorry, that was a low blow. I shouldn't need anything like that to, inf- to, te- to indicate to me that God is in fact near. His word is sufficient. Um, so, you know, you say, you say, is it a feeling, a thought, or in prayers? I think what they typically mean, it can be a mental awareness. I think there's so many ways to qualify this. You can say, I feel the presence of God. And what that can mean is, one, I am mentally aware of the fact that God is present. Because I'm thinking about the scriptures that promise me God is present to those who draw near to him. Or there might be some sense of, I feel God is present. Maybe that's emotional. Maybe that's, uh, I don't know how you qualify that. Or physically, right? The the idea of like, there's a weightiness to the atmosphere. The people use that language. Or there's a sense of like, my hair is standing up. Or or I just, it's like someone just walked in the room. Sometimes you can feel that. Uh someone behind you, you don't hear them, you don't see them, you just, you, for some reason, you feel a presence, and you turn around like, mom, what are you trying to scare me for, you weirdo? That's personal to me, because my mom still, as a 31-year-old man, tries to creep around the corner and scare me. If you're watching, mom, I just exposed you to the world. Um, so yeah, there's a bunch of ways to, to qualify that. Um, I, I, I just don't want, how one person qualifies that should not determine how you qualify that. We can learn and glean wisdom from people, uh, but one person's experience should not drive my life. Almti Halfbreed says, In Matthew, Jesus gave his disciples, Yeshua gave his disciples to heal sick and all disease. Are we commanded to do that now or no? Commanded is a strong word. Empowered is a more appropriate word. Um, But with empowerment comes purpose. God never empowers or supplies or provides without direction or purpose. And so when it comes to Jesus, I mean, I don't, I don't think we should take that narrative and make it the normative experience for the believer. Some people do live like that. And they're like, if we have the Holy Spirit, then every day there should be some kind of supernatural miracle taking place through my life. Well, I think you have now taken isolated pockets of within the narrative of Scripture, and you've you've compiled them all, and then you've made that the expectation for all believers. And that's not a good hermeneutic, meaning that's not a good way to approach and interpret and understand the scriptures. So while I do believe God empowers us and equips us, when God calls us to do these things is his decision. How God calls us to do these things is his decision. I shouldn't wake up every morning and go, I expect God. Almost like, I'm deciding how God is going to move through my life today. I just want to be open and receptive and humble enough to uh, receive what it is he wants to do in my life. I want to be aware. I want to be sober-minded. I want to be directed by the Spirit. Can you comment on dream interpretation? Chris, man, that's going to take... I have a whole hour and a half message on that if you'd like. Um, Moderators, if you can find... There's a series I did on prophecy... And in that series, we went through dreams and visions and just some general guidelines when it comes to interpreting dreams and knowing if a dream is from God. I don't know if you can find that message. 
Uh, I think it's literally just called Dreams. But if you could link that in the in the chat for uh, Christy. Sorry, I read your name wrong. That'd be super helpful. I just, I don't be able to find that right now. If not, no worries. Sleazy Breezy, does God use numbers to talk to us? Like I see 777, is that God saying he's looking out for me? Am I crazy? Sleazy Breezy, let me, t- uh, first of all, sweet name. Let me, let me click you so everyone can see how cool your username is. Uh, for, to appropriately answer this, we need to understand how numerology works in scripture. There are some numbers that have incredible significance. The number 40, the number 10, the number 7, the number 12, the number 3. There are some numbers, and even when you look at the Hebrew, right, there's numerical value for the different Hebrew letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And I'm learning Hebrew, and it's really fun. Um, So I don't think that means that when I see certain numbers, that means God is speaking to me. Some things are just purely coincidence. As weird as it sounds, like, it doesn't mean God is not sovereign. It doesn't mean God does not have a plan. It doesn't mean God is not working within the details. It just means sometimes when I see a certain number all the time, maybe it's just that I'm extra aware of that number. Maybe it's just the fact that I see that number and there's nothing more. Maybe there is a sense in which God is highlighting that number to you to drive you to the scriptures. Because I think, here's what I would say. If anything in my physical world should convey ideas to me about God, it should point me to the scriptures somehow. It shouldn't terminate on itself. In other words, if I see the 777 all the time, sleazy breezy, I should I should not um, think that I decide what those numbers mean. What I should do is do a study in scripture of what the seven number seven typically means. The number of completeness and fullness and Sabbath and all that stuff um, I should look up what scripture, all the different passages that use that number uh, to how God will convey, I don't know, a deeper message through that number and the weight that number carries. I should look at the scriptures. If I just look at numbers all day and go, man, I see the number seven everywhere. That doesn't do me any good necessarily. That's just an observation. If that's going to do me any good, it should point me to the scriptures or point me to something about God. In other words, if I just see something And this is, I hate to say it, but our pagan Western culture has trained us to think that when you see something a lot, the universe is trying to tell you something. And I think at times God will repeat something and repeat you allowing to see something and there's patterns to the way God speaks and maybe he's conveying a message through what you're seeing all the time. And that can happen. But when I assume that, be, that God is speaking to me based on numbers I'm seeing, um, that's not the right approach. What I should go, do is, hey, I see this number a lot. Let me go to scriptures or let me pray about this and go, Lord, is there any significance to the number three? And I know Jesus, three days he rose and, and there's the number three in scripture. Um, other places, which you see actually linked to resurrection. Um, so I'm just, and, and at least... Let that observation in your life drive you to the Word of God to discover more about God. Because if I just look at numbers, I can make up anything I want that those numbers are telling me. I think God is telling me my spouse is going to be 77 years old and I got to trust him. And when you just start deciding what observations mean and what coincidences mean and what God is, when you decide that, I think that's when you get into trouble. What I rather you do is take that observation and bring it to God and let him tell you whether or not there's anything going on there. Let him tell you whether or not like, yeah, there's nothing there, buddy. Or, hey, actually, I want you to read Isaiah chapter seven, verse seven, you know, Um, and I think some good can come from that when it drives us to God in the scriptures. I don't see any reason for me to for God to just put a number in front of me all the time and then go, I'm just trying to talk to you, and then that's it. He just wants me to notice the numbers. It should point us to something more important, more grand, more worth our time. Numerical values and numbers in and of themselves aren't necessarily fantastically exciting, but if it points to God and it clarifies the scriptures and it gives me understanding of Christ, then numbers now have significance and value in my life. Or, you know, you could go to mathematics and go, oh, you need numbers to count things and budget financially. Sure, it's fine. But I meant spiritual value. This is a statement from Kevin. I guess it's worth answering real fast. 
he says, off topic, if you have time, I know you said previously you didn't go to school for this, and it's uh, it is obviously you've been called to do this with more authority and knowledge than most. So, <clears throat> than most. So, do you believe in these last days God is building up His own priesthood that will be raised up by Him incorruptible? I would never put myself on some like elite, s- secret, hidden, special level of people. Um, but I will say that I, I think we have become too, as a culture, as a society, we've become too um, impressed with accreditation. We've become too impressed with degrees. We've become too impressed with, well, what what uh, what letters do you have after your name? Are you a doctor? Are you a... Uh, did you get your master's? We've become too impressed and focused on those things and too concerned with those things. So I do believe in some sense this has historically always been true, that God is showing people that human accreditation and human education and human, not that those things don't have a place, but those things don't determine whether or not someone is effectively called and usable by God. And if I'm an example of that, sweet. But I'd never put myself on some like elite level of like, see, God's using you, and there's only 10 other people in the world that don't have the education, and you guys are being used. I just think I'm a normal, everyday dude that decided to know God, put some effort and energy into it, and God chose to bless that. And any one of you can do the same thing I'm doing. God could have literally chosen a six-year-old to do what I'm doing. So I'm, it's not impressive what I'm doing. It's What's impressive is the God who chooses to empower me to do what I do and gifts me to do what I do. He's far more impressive. <clears throat> Y'all have a lot of comments, so forgive me as I read them. I actually like this question, Lizbeth. It's a cool shortened version of Elizabeth. I don't know if it is, but for me it is. Can the Lord use your own mouth, lips to speak to? I've had that happen while I pray, and discernment is one of my main goals. Yeah, let me tell you, every time I get behind this mic and I preach, anytime I talk about the Word of God, God is teaching me through my own words and lips. And sometimes ideas become clearer just by saying things out loud, and it's if God is clarifying to me things I didn't know about or showing me things I didn't know before or giving me understanding about a passage that I never had understood before and he's speaking this is what happens with the word of God when God's divine authoritative supernatural word is on the lips of an image bearer the effects that has on the people and the speaker and even like the surrounding environment that can't be measured there's so much that God does And often I'm preaching to myself. You have no idea. Yimmy, this question comes with quite a bit of assumptions, so I just want to answer this very succinctly. He says, Do I need to be in prayer for hours to be more sensitive to the presence of God? You don't need to meet any equation or specific formula to produce X amount of results. Here's what I, I, I hope you understand. All the effort you put into your relationship with God, that will only yield the results and the fruit that God decides it will. Okay? I can never take my fruit and the outcome of my decisions and the what's produced through my decisions. I can never control that or take it farther than God has sovereignly ordained. So here's where I think it's more helpful to parallel this to the Proverbs. For example... In the, in the wisdom literature, Proverbs specifically, Solomon and a couple other fellows are sharing some great wisdom. And often people read the wisdom literature as if Solomon is saying, hey, do this and you're guaranteed this outcome. And that's actually not how the wisdom literature functions. The wisdom literature is, hey, if you want this result in your life, if you want to see this kind of life, you're more likely to see that happen when you do this wisdom. And I think that can be applied to your question. When you pray, you don't decide or control how much God will draw near to you, how much he will make you aware of his presence, how much you will feel his presence. You could put in, like the monks, hundreds of hours of prayer. You could you could invest hundreds of hours of prayer into your faith and into your quiet time with God. And if God decided 
not to make you more sensitive to his presence or not to draw near, which is highly unlikely. Or if he decided not to make it clear that he was near and to answer your faithfulness, well, that's that's it completely just on his part. He doesn't have to do anything. I don't decide how close God draws near to me or how sensitive I become. I just am stepping out in faith, investing as much time as I believe I I, I want to into my relationship with God, and I'm leaving the results in his hand. How he answers that is his decision. What he does with my time of prayer is his decision. And so what I will say is it seems as though God meets us and does in our life uh, according to what we choose to invest into our faith. Meaning God will we'll get out of our faith and our relationship with God as much as we put into it. I think God has, that's at least true. That what you invest into your faith, what you invest into your relationship with God, how much time, how much energy, how much dedication, how much loyalty, how much resources, how much money, what you do, you know invest into your relationship with God will have an effect on what you get in return. How sensitive will you be? How close will you be? How much will you experience his nearness? I do believe God leaves it up to how much we decide to seek him. That, I think, is explicitly clear in the scriptures. Um, Maseo Mason, what platform were you learning Hebrew? Is one source better than the other? I couldn't tell you. This is my first time. I'm learning through the, um, I always mess up the name. Let me pull up the email. The Israel Institute of Biblical Studies. The Israel Institute of Biblical Studies. I'm learning biblical Hebrew. I'm learning biblical Hebrew. So I would recommend, it, it does cost money. It's like an actual accredited course. And you will get accreditation for it, or you will get some kind of credit. But it's legit. <clears throat> I enjoy it a lot. Um, I'm just looking up, reading all the comments. Isn't the Sabbath on Sunday? No, actually it's not. Um, the Sabbath didn't change. What we do have is now the day of the Lord, which seems to be additional to the Sabbath still being on Saturday, but... Sunday is not treated as such. It's just a day to remember and recall the resurrection of Jesus. Because um, I see some questions about Sabbath. No, the Sabbath did not change from Saturday to Sunday. But now our relationship with the Sabbath instruction in Torah has changed. And I know some people disagree. I don't care. Zion O'Neill says, How do we decide what is a dream from God and what is a vision from the devil showing you your own desires? To answer that, you'd have to watch the last two episodes of our series, and I hate to like do that, but it is, it's as thorough and as clear as I could be from Scripture. Like, if you want an actual helpful answer, and not just a quick elevator pitch of an answer, like that's not helpful. It's not helpful for me to just give you a quick sentence to be like, "Hey, I answered your question." To be thorough and to be clear and to be helpful, I would recommend you watch the last two episodes in our series about hearing the voice of God. The series is called Hearing God, and um, the last two episodes will be helpful. I will be getting to dreams, though, specifically in a couple of episodes. I believe it won't be next week um, or the next week, but the next week, because there's about nine, maybe ten weeks to this series. It's going to take a while. I want you guys to have as much understanding of this subject as possible. Does 3 a.m. have any biblical meaning? Well, in the Hebrew, um, you see happening... I think, what is it, the third watch of the night? I forget what it is. It's like 3 a.m. when uh, the apostles are rowing away from the land without Jesus in their boat. And they're going to, uh, right after Jesus multiplied the fish and the loaves, and they're on their way to the other side. I think it's at 3 a.m. They're struggling, and Jesus goes, and eh, knuckleheads. And he, he just walks across the sea to them. It's a ghost! Ah! And Jesus goes, Wrong! It's me, fellas. Jesus? No way. Someone says, should we worship on Saturday since it's the true Sabbath? I'll tell you this, Sandy. We should worship every day. We should gather any opportunity we have. There's no specific day where you should have church or you shouldn't have church. Every day is a beautiful reminder of the Sabbath rest we've entered into through Jesus. Every day I can gather with believers. Every day I can learn. Every day I can grow. Every day I can worship. So there's no day. I think we've, again, our Western context 
has shaped a, a lot about how we think of church. It's like, well, do I need to go to church on Sunday or Saturday? Neither. And they're like, yeah, no church. That's not what I meant. There's no one day where God's like, you need to be in this building on this day or I can't bless you. That's not what it's about. It's about we are now the temple. We now get to walk with Jesus any day, enjoy his rest. Do you think Muhammad got his revelation for Islam from Satan? Well, if it didn't come from God, I think there's only one other option. There's truth and there's deception, right? There's what's right, there's what's wrong. So if it didn't come from God, I'd have to say it came from some other dark entity. It's Satan, some demonic force, whatever it is, it's not from God. Um, This melody asks a question, I believe, on behalf of someone else. Ooh, I want to get to Daniel. He's talked about his wife and having dreams, and I want to I want to actually touch on that. Melody says, or someone who Melody is speaking on behalf of, says, I've been having this mentality that salvation depend on, depends on me, which is false. And I have these thoughts, and I feel they're from God, but the thoughts are always, say God is good 15 times out louder, or wear that shirt. Now, that does seem kind of odd, somewhat uh, legalistic, if I'm being honest. Uh, that does sound somewhat off when it comes to what God will ask people to do. That that doesn't mean he'll never ask someone to wear a certain shirt because you're going to encounter someone who's going to ask about that or say God is good 15 times. That those When I have those thoughts, there's, there's nothing wrong with following them and doing them and going, there's nothing wrong with saying God is good 15 times. There's nothing wrong with wearing a shirt that has a Bible verse on it, right? But when I start to live life where every thought I have in my head is most likely God, then it's like, I got to go to Taco Bell, even though I really want Pizza Hut because God told me. And it's like, did God tell you? Or did you just have a random thought and then slap God's name on it? I don't know what to do with your statement, just that I'll tell you this. I'm so glad you clarified that, Lord. How you think about your salvation can help you indicate to yourself whether or not you're truly hearing from God in the other things. Think about that. How you think about the clear revelation of the gospel will impact what you think you're hearing when it comes to the hidden, more secret, personal things of your life. And so I would venture to say that if you, if you have a wrong view of salvation, it's unlikely, not entirely impossible, but it's unlikely that you're hearing from God about, say God is good 15 times or wear that shirt, shirt because... I don't know, it just, I, I see how God speaks to us will be rooted in, and how we perceive the voice of God will be rooted in our own personal understanding of the gospel. And I, I would say it like this, if someone, if someone comes to me, and this is what I do when I get private Instagram messages or emails, and they're like, I have a word from God, I will not despise that. I will not uh, close myself off to that and go, no way. What I do is I look at that message and I go, and I message the person or I ask them, I go, what is your understanding of the gospel? If they understand the gospel correctly, I'm more likely to consider them as speaking from God. If they don't, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way. If they don't even know Christ, they don't know the gospel, they don't know the basic foundational truth of our faith, then I would not at all look to them as a reliable source for God's messages. Just not. It's, that doesn't seem wise, right? doesn't seem wise in any way. But Daniel says this. I think this is really helpful. This is just, it puts practical legs on what you guys are talking about when it comes to dreams. And as much as we don't like build theology around experience, I, I've had experiences like this. And I think we also see occurrences of the same thing in scripture. Daniel says, I don't know if you wanted this publicized, but he he put it in the chat, so it's public. He says, I find my wife dreams, and I have interpretations. So I find God uses fellow believers in fellowship together to hear his voice more clearly, too. I don't want to, like, make the mic sound weird. I'm so proud of you, Daniel. That's exactly the kind of heart we should have as we approach hearing God's voice. Is we make it so individualistic, we forget that God speaks in congregational ways. You might have a word. You might have a dream. You might have a vision. You might have a tongue. Someone else has the interpretation. You might have the prophecy. Someone else might have the actual understanding and the meaning of the prophecy and the deeper 
you know, revelation of that prophecy. We see this with Gideon. We see this with Paul. We see this with the apostles. We see this in the book of Acts. We see this, um, sheesh, where else? Um, trying to think where else in scripture we see this, uh, Joseph answering dreams or Daniel answering dreams. We, we see this all throughout scripture where God does not just always involve one person in his communication methods. Sometimes it is, Daniel, I'm going to give your wife a dream and you the interpretation because, and you go, why? That seems so frustrating. Like, just talk to me, God. Well, because God is about the community. God is about his body. God is about his family as a unified uh, being. (laughs) As weird as it sounds, God is about us uh, being a unified family in Christ. And the way unity is promoted is that we would have pieces that come together and that we would share, that we'd rely on one another, that we'd serve one another. And I think what encourages that is when God gives a dream to one and interpretation to another or vice versa, or we read the scriptures out loud together, which I would love to do, um, or we pray together as a congregation, or we fast together, or we are pursuing the same goal, the same mission, same heart. You know, read Ephesians chapter 4. It's all about the unity of the church. All about the unity of the church. And what promotes that unity is, in fact, this the way that God communicates to his people. We often think, God, give me a message, give me a message. But we forget that the way God intends to deliver that message to you might involve other people so they can benefit, so they can glorify God, so they can share a testimony. Iris asked a question about the law. Ken answered that pretty well. Um, I think this is... A, a, This isn't along the lines of hearing God's voice, but it's about speaking the message of God. W. Carey says, I have two young nephews that are already going down the wrong path. That is so heartbreaking to hear that someone so young can already at that age, as as vulnerable and as pliable as they are, uh, is already heading down the wrong path. That is heartbreaking. How do I introduce them to Jesus in a way? that a 10 and 7-year-old can understand. Show them Superbook episodes on YouTube. Superbook is lit. Superbook is dope. Superbook is fire. Superbook has really helped my kids understand the Bible. And they're 6 and 3. Um, there's a Bible app you can get. I'm going to get my phone. Hopefully I can show you on the camera. There's a Bible app. It's called Bible for Kids. Quiet down, fella. Quiet down, fella. And uh, I recommend this. It's from Life Church. It's a resource. You can see it. If I just click on any one of these, like this one, it brings up a story. And it's an interactive story. So I can click read. And then it brings you through the stories. Then you can click on the screen and actually interact with the characters or interact with the environment. And, And I just encourage you to share what you know. But also, let's take a minute to pray for them. God, you know these two young children who are already heading down a dark path. And um, I just ask that you'd spare them. I ask that you would interrupt that pattern. I ask that you would graciously um, step in and save and redeem them, pull them into the truth. God, I ask that you you would shine the light of Jesus into their little hearts, that they would understand the gospel, that they would understand and, and, and recognize their need for Jesus and and that they'd hear the clear, accurate, biblical gospel, the true good news of Jesus. I ask that you would share that through this woman or through someone else. Just let it come into their hearts, God. Would you keep them from the wrong path that they're already on? Would you keep them from going any further? We do ask and we pray and we believe in faith, God, that you're going to stop them from going any further because we're asking. And so in Jesus' name we, we pray. Amen. Pray for them. Share what you can. Throw on a super book at their house or whenever they're over. Show them the Bible app. Show their parents the Bible app. If they're not believers, just say, hey, I found this really cool story app where you can interact and do activities and whatever it is. However you frame it up, right? The name of the app is called uh, the Bible for Kids, I think. Bible for Kids. Super book, one word. Yep. Super book. Great animation, great storytelling, great. It'll suck the kids in. They'll watch it and be like, 
This is wonderful. This is mind-blowing. That's what I want for our kids. Actually, this is the second to last question. How do you be happy or proud of something you've accomplished without being prideful in a sinful way? Well, off topic, can you speak on the dominion and authority we have on the earth today after the fall, but now in Christ? I want to take the emphasis off you for a second and off me, okay? Respectfully, I want the emphasis on Jesus. So, Paul's talking about what he prays for. He prays that God would give the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that he would enlighten the eyes of their hearts, our hearts. And Paul goes, here's why. I want you guys to know what is the hope that God has called you to. I want you to know the riches of his glorious inheritance. I want you to know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So notice, this is all about where Jesus is, what he's done, who he is, and just how powerful and sovereign and preeminent Jesus really is. He's been seated far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, that being in the heavenly places mainly. We're talking about spiritual principalities. We're talking about spiritual forces of darkness. We're talking about uh, spiritual entities that are rebels of God. The, The entire kingdom of darkness and every being in existence is underneath the feet of Jesus and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So notice our authority is inherited. Our authority is really Jesus's authority. It's not mine. It's borrowed. It's inherited. It's granted. It's received. It's, I'm not entitled to it. It doesn't originate in me. It doesn't come from me. It's not based on me. It is all about Jesus. Because he's the head and we're connected to him as his body, his authority, his power, his dominion now flows into our lives. So that yes, we in Christ have authority with Jesus because Jesus, think about this, Jesus is over all. Take this cup. I'm lifting this cup above this mic. This cup is above the mic. Also, what's inside the cup is also above the mic. It's a stupid analogy, but the idea is still true that you and I are in Jesus. And if he's above everything, if everything's under his feet, then we're with him, positioned in him, seated in him, hidden in him. We're with Christ in him above all things. And it's not our authority. It's not our power. It's not our dominion. It's his. It's because it's directly related to the fact that we're in Christ. It's all dependent on him being our head, being our shepherd, being our king, being our savior, being our representative, being our high priest. It is all based on him. So uh, instead of answering your question directly, because that's such a general question, I would like to help you just think more about the fact that anything I have, any ability I have, any authority I have on the earth today is a direct result of me being positioned in Jesus through my faith. So if I know him, if I know who he is, if I know what he's done, if I know what he's promised, if I know his word, that will directly result, uh, affect how I walk in the authority and the power that I have in Christ. Whatever that looks like, whatever that looks like, that's God's prerogative. So that was the last question for today, boys and girls. Mike just got here. Mike drop. And... Uh, that's all I got for you guys today. Fantastic Q&A. I love the questions. If, if I didn't get to your question for some reason, listen, I would love to get to it. Message me privately on Instagram. DM me. Uh, send me an email. Contact at abovereproachministry.com. Or go to the YouTube video right now. Go to the description and click any of the links. Or go to abovereproachministry.com. Either way, what's up, Victor? Good to see you. Either way, I want you guys to uh, reach out to me with those questions that I, I didn't get to answer. I apologize I'm sorry, it's my fault if I didn't get to it or I didn't see it. So um, yeah, that's all I got. Monday, we'll be back here, Lord willing. Episode four, hearing God's voice, learning to discern and recognize the voice of God. Be here for that. It's going to be really cool. I'm excited to further this idea and take it even farther than we have. All right. But that is all I got for you guys today. It's all I got. I love y'all. Really, that's why I'm here. To answer the questions, to be a resource, to be of help in any way that I can. Um, 
And yeah, questions, reach out to me on Instagram or email. And I'll see you guys later. Hey, thanks for listening to today's message. I need your help. Would you rate this podcast and give it an honest review to let others know what they can expect from this podcast? It would really help us in reaching more people with the truth of God's word. And be sure to check out AboveReproachMinistry.com for all of our free resources like trainings, Bible courses, worksheets, our online church, and much more. Thanks again for listening to this podcast and leaving a good review for others.